gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. Good morning and welcome to episode 141 of Effectively Wild, the Baseball Prospectus Daily Podcast. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh and today we are joined by Jason Collette. Jason, how are you? Doing well, guys. How you doing? <laughs> Good. Uh, so Jason is the uh, author of the Astros chapter of the Baseball Prospectus Annual. We're going to talk to him about the Astros. After that, um, Pete Barrett will talk to Richard Justice with MLB.com also about the Astros. So Jason, you recently, about probably two months ago, three months ago, two months ago, wrote comments about 70 different Astros baseball players. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, how many do you think you could name from scratch right now if you didn't have a computer in front of you? Uh, 10? Haven't they, <laughs> haven't they traded about 60 since then? <laughs> They've traded a lot of them. How many could you name before you did the research for that chapter? <laughs> and here's the thing. I grew up as an Astros fan. That's the scary thing. I, I could probably name more Astros fan, Astros players from the 80s than I can the current roster right now. Uh-huh. Do it. Let's hear it. <laughs> Art uh, Howe, Terry Poole, <laughs> Joe Sambito. I, I can keep going for a while. The current roster, I'm like Chris Carter uh, and Tyler Green, only because I heard the other day that they want him to lead off. He of his career, 280 on base percentage. So that's an interesting choice. <laughs> Uh, so the Astros are kind of an interesting team because um, I, I, I think that there's been um, an idea among fans over the last decade or so that if you're as bad as the Astros, you shouldn't really bother too much with marginal upgrades. And uh, if you can get your payroll as low as possible and save that money for the time you're going to be competitive, that's the best way to do it. And I just don't think that any team has really committed to that philosophy uh, so so uh, wholeheartedly as the Astros. And in a way, uh, I admire it. I think that the resolve that they've shown is sort of interesting. And, and I'm going to actually, I think I really want to watch this team this year for, for weird, perverse reasons. There's been some pushback, though, because they're going to be carrying a payroll in the low 20 millions this year. Um, do you think that there's anything kind of uh, ignoble about the way that they're doing this? Or is this really... Um, like kind of the perfection of a strategy that other teams have kind of gone at in half measures. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think you should go at it uh, 100%. As a as somebody who watched the Devil Rays make this transition from you know rebuilding from scratch into being competitive, they only did it halfway. People will remember that infamous bullpen of 2007 where they spent, I think, a total of $5 million on the entire bullpen, and it was the worst bullpen in the history of baseball uh, because they knew you know, even if we spend some money into it, it's going to take us from 65 to 70 wins, so why bother? So let's go ahead, and there's a lot of games where the Rays would be up 9-6 to six in the 7th because they actually had a functional offense. And then that bullpen would come in and blow the entire thing away. So I agree if you're going to rebuild from scratch – do it the entire way, uh, you know, do what they've done. They're building this team for three to five years down the line. And I see a lot of correlations between the 2013 Astros and where the Devil Rays were in 2005, 2006. So what is the lesson of those Devil Rays that the Astros can take? I mean, there is, um, are there certain specific things that um, the Rays did that um, made them successful. I mean, a lot of teams have been bad for a long period of time without, you know, ever getting good at the end of it. So I guess the question is, what do the Astros need to do to make sure that this is actually leading to something? 
You know, one of the things is don't you know don't fall into uh, fan pressure. Let's call up all these prospects. We know that the Astros have turned around this farm system from one of the league's worst to one of the league's best, and they have a lot of talent down the farm. But at the same time, you have to be patient. Let these guys develop. Don't rush any service clocks. There's you know there's a couple of things you've seen teams do this in the past. They fall into that pressure. You know, in 2004, the Rays called up BJ Upton, and then they left him down in the minors until 2007, uh, despite all the public pressure to get him up uh, and a lot some public whining even, uh, and they let him do that. So you need to stick with a schedule. Let don't call these guys up. Burn that er- that early service time. Stay with your schedule, stay with your plan, and that'll help. I think teams have made that mistake in the past. Um, again, you're going to go at this 100%. You're only going to spend $20 million. Then, then don't fall to any public pressure and do what you think is best for your team. I would think drafting well would have something to do with it, too. If you're a terrible major league team, you get a high draft pick. And, and the Rays, I guess, made the most of having some high draft picks and the Astros had one last year. They'll have one again this year. Uh, and last year, I, I think generally the, the consensus was that they did very well, that they had a good strategy in the draft, and that now they have another number one pick and also, I believe, have the most uh, international money to spend of any team. Um, so I guess a lot of it would, would come down to that. Also, just kind of converting those picks from potential into... Uh, actually talented players. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen, we saw you know, the Double Rays blew that opportunity when they took Tim Beckham over Buster Posey. Their 2009 draft did not go so well when their top two picks uh, that they took, neither of them signed. And uh, that's what you've seen, you know, when you make the trade of, of James Shields to get a Will Myers and some of the deals they've done recently to rebuild that, to take that back. It really highlights the importance of the draft. And ironically, with the Astros, they could end up getting Mark Capel, the guy everybody thought they should have taken last year uh, when they took Carlos Correa. And so they might end up getting both of the guys. Guys, the, the the guy that they wanted and the guy that the public wanted them to take over the last draft and this draft when it comes up in June uh, to see how things go. Uh, but definitely, when, you, when you're able to turn on that farm system from uh, just three years ago, I believe Kevin ranked it the worst in all of baseball. And now we have it here. Uh, seen recent ratings having them anywhere from three to five and talking with some of the people uh, there in the front office internally. They think, you know, they're around eight to 10. So that, you know, they like the optimistic ratings that they've had, but internally they think there's room for improvement. And that's what you want to see. You don't want to see everybody going, okay, you know, we've got this thing turned around, let's go. They know there's room for improvement up and down within the organization. So it'll be uh, fun to watch them uh, do that. So there, obviously there aren't a lot of bright spots uh, in the big leagues for them right now. There are three guys who had good second half performances um, last year. Um, Jason Castro had a 787 OPS. Matt Dominguez had an 809 OPS. Fernando Martinez had an 845 OPS. All in fairly limited play. Um, are any of those guys you think um, sort of viable? Uh, I don't know. Like, are are any of those second halves? Do you think particularly telling? Uh, are they potential bright spots? Are they theoretically fantasy viable? What what kind of can Astros fans expect out of them? Um, you know, for the most part, I don't think any of it's really viable. I just when I look at what the 2013 depth chart is going to look like, you know, I'm excited to see 
overall with Justin Maxwell, we have always seen the Justin Maxwell's talent level, but the, the one thing that's always uh, stood out is his inability to stay on the field. So that's the guy I'm really interested to see if he can get that playing time, what he's going to be able to do uh, given his challenges against right-handed pitching. You know, the acquisition of Chris Carter I thought was a really good move when you're talking about another guy uh, that couldn't stay on the field much and Jed Lowry to be able to move him for what they did and put Chris Carter in that ballpark. Where he's going to play in the field remains a different story. You've heard some conversations about left field or deep third base at Minute Maid Park uh, to see how that's going to play. It'll be interesting to see how he's going to play out there. But to me, that's what really excites me. We know what Altuve can bring to the table, but looking at Justin Maxwell, looking at Chris Carter, I think that's where Astro fans should be focusing this season. Um, you mentioned Altuve. Um, Altuve had a, a sort of a, a, an exciting year considering he was 22. He had an extremely good April, but then after that he had a 700 OPS and um, you know, his final numbers weren't like really all that exciting. He was, I, I think, depending on your metric, probably a little bit below average. Um, is he the, is he, I mean, does he still have star potential or is he just going to be kind of a, an average ball player? Um, I think overall he's going to be an average ball player. You know, he's good on the base pass, and even at 22 to play a full season at 22, I think that's what people need to put in perspective. We're talking about most 22-year-olds are playing A ball, even low A ball, high A ball. Some of them are in double A. Not many of them are playing a full season of Major League Baseball. Um, so you got to have to frame Altuve's perspective. For in that view, I think he had a very good season. Uh, but overall, across his career, I think he's going to be an average player at best. Uh, but on this team right now, he's probably the best player. Is there a bird squawking behind you? Uh, there is. Yeah, it, it's a, another lovely day in Orlando, Florida. So uh, we get some nice noise. Well, we love we love uh, we love it when nature imposes on this podcast. I just want to make sure that everybody knows that this is not my nature. This is actually Jason's nature that you're hearing. There's a lot of wildlife <laughs> on this podcast, especially so, with with one host in Manhattan where there is none. None. Yeah. So who's the all star on this team? Uh, who's the all star on this team? Let's wow. So, you know, somebody's got to make it there, don't they? <laughs> uh, I guess we have to go with Altuve for name value. You can see somebody getting him uh, on the bench, uh, unless Chris Carter has that kind of uh, explosion. But I'm looking at the pitching staff. I just don't see it. Even if they would just want a reliever, who knows what they're going to use? So let's just go with Altuve to make the easy option. And who gets traded at the deadline? Uh, before that, Bud Norris has got to be traded at the deadline. Hey, he's make, I think he makes the most money on the team at uh, a million and a half, uh, something <laughs> like that. So you figure Bud Norris has is, is got to be gone somewhere. Maybe St. Louis will trade for him just so they don't have to face him because that seems to be his calling card for his career is he can beat the Cardinals and nobody else. I was just looking at their payroll uh, page at BP, and I guess they're still paying Wandy Rodriguez a fair amount of money. Yeah, $5 million. Um, yeah, and it looks like Norris will actually be making $3 million, and he's tops uh, above Carlos Pena, who presumably is not going to go anywhere, at least immediately. Um, is, there a, is there a point at which the payroll gets so low that there is a backlash, either, either from the fan base or from, I don't know, from the players' union? I mean, if we're looking at a... The payroll as a whole has something like 15 million committed right now and probably won't even get to 25 possibly by by opening day. Uh, Do you get the sense that the fan base is so completely on board with this kind of scorched earth policy and, and building back up from nothing that they don't object to this? Or is there any unrest about this strategy and, and how little potential there is in the short term? 
You know, as, as far as you know, blowback from where the salary is now, I think we're already at that point. I, even if it drops down another few million, it's not going to matter because we've already seen articles. We saw Ken Rosenthal write one last week about it. Uh, I was actually out in Texas last week and talked with a bunch of uh, Astros fans at the uh, function I was at for a few days, and they get that this is a building process. They know, I mean, they were fans back in the good days when, when the team was competing, and they know that it's rough times right now. Uh, but, and these, were, these weren't even analytical fans. These are just your average baseball fans, and they get that it's a building process, and they're excited to see what can come. And for the time being, they're gonna take advantage of cheap baseball tickets and be able to go to a game with a lot of velvet room and, and to watch these guys grow. Uh, within that. But I think if you look back at last year, when we did our, our ballpark event at Minute Maid Park, uh, Jeff Lou now spoke to, there's about 70 people at that. And they, you know, we spoke to the audience about that. And he wrote the letter out to the season ticket holders telling everybody, look, we're committed to the long-term process. Did a good job of spelling out what that process is. And if you were to go back and look at that letter that he wrote against what the team has done since then, I think it lines up perfectly. So it wasn't just lip service. He's actually, he and the team are actually doing what they said they were going to do. They actually, I'm surprised I'm looking at this. They ranked last in the National League in attendance last year, um, but they did average 20,000 fans a game, which is um, kind of credible. Um, and it wouldn't have been last except the Marlins had their new park and they drew, you know, they outdrew the Rays. So they aren't really, they outdrew the Rays by quite a bit, by a half a million fans. So, um, well, not a half a million, but they did outdraw the Rays. Anyway, uh, so it's interesting to me that they actually are still getting some fans out there. Wasn't there some? Yeah, it would, to me, I don't know if it's to be, I don't know if that's like announced attendance. I know I only went to two games last year, and they were both the same week, and they were there for the ballpark event. We went to a Friday night game against Milwaukee, and they were giving away the throwback jerseys from the mid-'90s. And it was a good crowd, and the, and the Astros wanted a walk-off win. Uh, I believe Steve Pierce hit that uh, walk-off uh, single as they rallied off that fantastic uh, Milwaukee bullpen. And then the next night, on Saturday night after the event, it was a ghost town. At first pitch, there may have been 6,000 people there. And coming from a guy who's been to a lot of bad double race slash raise crowds, I was like, wow, this place is empty. Uh, huh. And then, then it kind of started getting a little more of a crowd afterwards. But so I've seen so a big crowd on the Friday night for again a team that was well, you know, already I think over 80 losses at that point. And then the next night it was like, yeah, this is kind of what I expected. I was surprised on Friday night, and then on Saturday I'm like, oh, this is what it usually is. So maybe promotions drove some of that, and that's what you have to do when you're fielding a team like this. All right. Well, this is I think probably my favorite. Uh, predictions that we'll do in this series because uh, you could probably give me a number that is um, laughable uh, if you want to. Uh, how many wins do you think the Astros will get moving to the American League this year and where where will they finish in the AL West? Uh, they're going to finish last and they're going to have 61 wins. They're going to tease us and try to 61. avoid that. 61 wins. That's incredible. How do you get how do you how do you possibly get 61 wins out of this roster? Dakota says 63. There I you know. go. Somehow. Come on, though. Come on, though. <laughs> I mean, they won 55 last year. They won, I think, 56 the year before. They've shed everybody since then. I mean, they actually had they had a pretty good team in 2011 compared to the team that they'll have in 2013. And they're moving to a you know, much harder division. It's impossible. It's got to be impossible, right? 
They're adding Rick Ankeel. They're adding Eric Bedard. So all that 2005 karma for talent is going to help this team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, seriously, I think 61 wins, 61 and 101. They're going to tease us. It's going to be one of the sports centers thing at the end of the season. Can the Astros avoid 100 losses? And honestly, if they, if they do avoid the 100 loss, I think that should be celebrated because that that's showing some progress, some short-term progress to fans. Hey, look, you know, we're able to do this next year. Let's try to step it out. So by, you know, 2015, now you'll see that payroll start rolling up as some of the you know, some of these guys become are eligible, and then some of that talent starts coming up. And I would, if this team is not competing by 2016, then we need to point back and say, okay, what went wrong? But I, when you look at this right now and seeing all the progress that they're making, I think you have to, uh, just as a baseball fan, say, okay, if this model works, you're going to see some other teams try this and get more committed to building over from square one. You know, you look at an organization like. Pittsburgh, who hasn't been competitive in, in quite some time with all their losing seasons. You're seeing Chicago do something uh, similar to this. So this um, could be a, a watershed moment as far as or rebuilding from scratch. Can I read a, a quick Jeff Luna quote uh, from an MLB.com article last week? He said, I know a lot of the national reporters say we're going to finish last and lose a lot of games again. You know what? Oakland was supposed to be last in the division last year. Baltimore was supposed to be last, and they both ended up making the playoffs. So, stop, being so, tickets stop now. being so negative, Sam. Reserve, yeah, reserve your postseason <laughs> yes. seats. <laughs> All right, cool. All right, so uh, up next, we've got Pete Barrett uh, talking to Richard Justice about this same topic. We'll talk to you on Monday. It may still be winter, but Baseball Prospectus is ready to play ball. Pete Barrett is taking you around the league with 30 insiders who cover Major League Baseball. Step into the box. The squeeze is on. And welcome to the squeeze. Joining us today to talk some Astros baseball and MLB.com correspondent Richard Justice. You know his work well. Richard, a lot of new faces in camp this year. 61 players are there. Only 22 were there last year. The Astros are going to see a lot of new faces. What do you expect they'll find in camp? Uh, let me give you a little bit of a big picture background. I think they're getting criticized. Well, I know they're getting criticized around the country for stripping the payroll down, for having making the door revol- uh, making the roster a revolving door of talent. But for those of us who were there for the previous ten years, who saw what happened to the organization, they went to the playoffs six times in nine years, ending with the. 2005 World Series, they were eliminated on the last day of the season in 2006. And after that, they do what organizations do a lot of times. They didn't have a good farm system, so they tried a Band-Aid approach. An old guy here, an old guy there. And it's really a narcotic. You you sign one veteran player, and you think, I'm, I'm never going to do that again. I promise I won't. Then it didn't work. you got to sign two more next year and two more the next. And the Astros were a mess. I mean, they didn't sign three of their top six draft picks in 2007. But they spent their money. They cut corners in player development, but they spent their money. One day you looked up, and they had run through Pudge Rodriguez and Miguel Tejada, Bill Hall, Kaz Matsui, Pedro Feliz, Mike Hampton, Russ Ortiz. It was just a mess of a roster. And before Jim Crane bought the team, he said, we're going to strip it down, and we're going to start over. We're going to hire a guy with a great reputation in player development, and we're going to use the Rangers and the Rays as a model. I'll give you this as a, a nuclear rebuilding project but at least when you put young guys out there 
you have the potential to get better. So to me, this season is going to be measured on having some developing some clarity on their roster. Like by the end of the year, if some of their former first round picks, if George Springer is in the big leagues, if Delano DeShields is is close to the big leagues, if last year's number one pick, 17 year old Carlos Correa, he's now 18, if he gets if he moves a little bit through the system, they have young pitchers, Ross Seaton, Zach Cozart. And so I think their goal is not what they're going to have at the big league level, although they could be competitive because I do think baseball is not that complicated. If you can execute some pitches and, and play defense, you've got a chance. On the first day of spring training, Joe Madden tells his guys, only have two rules, run hard to first base and play defense. And when you think about it, everything in baseball flows from those two basic things, running hard to first base and playing defense. So I do think they'll they'll be fun to watch. And all the guys are going to put out there, for the most part, have a chance to get better. But the real story will be a farm system that in, five, in three years has graduated from about 30th, 28th, something to top five in Keith Law's uh, latest ratings. Uh, that's where the, the real work and the interesting work will be done. So organizationally, you've mentioned it. There have been some big changes they're moving to the AL West. Is this the right time, ideally, to move because it's just like a fresh start in terms of an organizational philosophy and your division? Or would you rather them, like maybe it wasn't necessarily their choice, but ideally would it come a few years down the road or is it, is it a good time now? Well, it's actually connected. You know, the, in the last labor negotiations, the Players Association wanted six five-team divisions. They did not want a division with four and a division with six. And the simplest way to do that would be move a team from the NL Central to the American League West. And it just so happened the team in the NL Central was changing owners. And so as part of the agreement to buy the team, Jim Crane had to agree to go to the American League West. I don't think he wanted to do it, and I don't think fans in Houston. You know, the Astros have never had a real geographic rivalry. But if you're a fan of the Astros, you look at the Cardinals as your rival and the Reds, Dodgers, you know, you saw those teams as your rival where, you know, the Cardinals were never going to have the Astros as their main rival. The Dodgers were never going to see the Astros as their main rival. So I think one thing that gets accomplished with this, and then again, they didn't have a choice, is that uh, they're going to have a natural geographic rival with the Rangers. They played the last few years, but, you know, when you play in June and both teams aren't good at the same time, it just doesn't. It's just another brick in the wall in building a season. So my hope as a as a Texan is that they're playing games for a playoff berth or a division championship in September in some future year, and it will it will galvanize the state. It will push high school football off the off the front pages for a bit. It could be really a great thing for, for the sport. Um, you know that that's going to you know when will both teams be good? Who, who knows? I mean the the Rangers are really good right now and. The Astros are just you know, in a complete overhaul. Right, and I definitely love rivalries. But just to play devil's advocate here, do you think there's something risked in the fact that, yeah, this is going to develop a rivalry between the Rangers and the Astros, but maybe it could uh, weaken perhaps rivalries around baseball because in September, late in the year, you're going to have some teams playing against teams that aren't even in their league. I think you're right. You know, yeah, in this first year, the Astros finished with the Yankees. I think you're right, but I think it was a it was a bigger picture here. The Players Association really wanted six five teams divisions. I remember talking to the commissioner when it first came up, 
and I don't think he felt one way or another, but, you know, in, in every labor negotiations, there's some give and take. And they had a situation where the Astros could move. They could ask the Astros to move. And so, and so they did it. I, it does create an oddity in, in that there'll be interleague play year round. I was, I was with the Angels today and I think they're going to open in Cincinnati and then go to Texas. So it seems odd. The Angels are going to open in Cincinnati is not something feels just right about that, but it comes and goes. And, and I think the, um, you know, the, there's so much parity in the game now. And there's so many, um, September has been so good the last two years that maybe that erases whatever negative there is. I think the fact that so many teams are competing for so few spots and now winning a division is, is so, there's such a high priority on winning a division that probably overwhelms all that. I would, th- I would think who knows. Before we get back to Astros, you mentioned um, you were at the Angels press conference uh, this afternoon, and a lot of the buzz on Twitter, at least, has been Josh Hamilton lost a lot of weight and Mike Trout gained a little bit. Besides their uh, weight gain or loss, what did you learn from today's press conference? Well, it's you know it's a little bit awkward. I mean, they're they're getting to know each other. Uh, Albert told uh, Albert Pujols told a great story about being in one of those elite tournaments in 1999 pre-draft things. And he remembered everything about Josh Hamilton, Josh hitting it over the wall. And and someone said to Josh, I mean, Albert had very vivid memories of seeing Josh Hamilton being told this is going to be the first pick in the draft. And uh, we asked, someone asked Josh, uh, do you remember Albert? <laughs> and he laughed and said, well, you know, I had a lot going on there. <laughs> Albert and I took a little bit different route to get to this point. So, no, I don't remember Albert, but I don't remember a lot of things from those days. And and well, the one thing I asked them was, all of us that love the game and cover the game have looked at these three guys that are going to be in one lineup. They're going to be bunched in four spots at the top of the order. They're like, how great can they be? And and will will as as impressive as their numbers can be, will they feed off each other? Jeff Bagwell, Peter Gammons, people have always convinced me that there is such a thing as lineup chemistry. So can you imagine, like, this is three of the, you know, Mike Trutt's probably the best player in the game right now. Albert's in the top five, and Josh is a very, very good player. Like, can you imagine what it is if they make each other better? So it's it's an exciting time to be a fan of the Angels. We're talking baseball with Richard Justice, a correspondent for MLB.com. Richard, I'm sure you're a fan of the World Baseball Classic. We all are. We love watching baseball, and this is a way to grow it internationally. But do you think the Fernando Martinez situation in which he really can't play in the WBC because he's got a spot to earn raises some questions again about the timing of the World Baseball Classic uh, in relation to the season? Um, a couple of things about that. I think each player has to make his own decision. I, I was talking to Andres Torres earlier in the week, and he lobbied the Giants to sign him after the postseason. He wanted to come back to the Giants. He saw himself as a Giant. But he's got to make the team, and yet he's going to go play in the World Baseball Classic. And Bruce Bochy said, you know, it's not like – he goes, we know Andres Torres. We know who he is. And said each player has to make that decision. And I think what we see in the World Baseball Classic is guys really want to play. But for when you're you're from a smaller country, it's very important. It's very important for Canadians. It's very important for Dominicans. But I also think in all these situations, I know every team that sends a pitcher to the World Baseball Classic is holding its breath. 
it's a, for a greater good. I mean, it's about growing the game. There's, you know, David Stern is the, the role model, the blueprint for how you grow a sport internationally, what he's done with the NBA. And I think Commissioner Seelig sees some of that. And so for every negative that you, you would look at, and, and each player has to make that decision on his own, there's so much to be gained from it. And, and let me just say one other thing about the World Baseball Classic. Uh, the, the ones that I've been to, and I've just been around Team USA. I haven't been with the other teams that much, not this year, but in past years. Um, those guys love playing with guys they don't know. And and I think for every player who says, you know, who turns down an opportunity, um, I, I would encourage them to give it a shot because when I've been around the team, it seems like they're having the time of their lives. It's like a, 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 an all-star game without all the hoopla that you get to just go play and you get to learn and meet and, and, and be around other players. Sounds like a great time. Um, Richard, spring training is a mini season of optimism for all the teams. And even teams like the Astros can look forward and project a, a nice year. So how do they see themselves finishing in their first year in the AL West? You know, uh, first of all, the rebuilding has not, the building has not ended. I mean, they would still, a guy like Bud Norris, they would listen to trade offers for him. But I think Jeff Luno, you know, he has a, he, the general manager, the new general manager, a year and a half on the job, has such a great track record with what he did with the Cardinals. It was really heartwarming last year to be in Minute Maid Park to see his guys, Lance Lynn and John Jay and those guys, come up and thank him for giving him a chance. And that's what they want him to do. But I think the Astros feel like if you just do the basics, if, if, uh, if Marlon Gonzalez plays very good shortstop, if Altuve plays plays well at second, and if, if those pitchers, if Jordan Lyles is what they think they are, if Jared Cozart is what they, they hope he's going to be, uh, and, you know, you can be competitive. I don't think the game is that complicated. I think we were reminded last year Tampa Bay had pitching, and they didn't even play great defense. And looking at Tampa Bay this year, they're going to be a great defensive team, I think, a potentially a great defensive team. Um, and you saw Oakland last year, they pitched – and they hit home runs. It's a very, very efficient way to do things. So I think we're in an era where if you just don't make mistakes and you find a knack, you can do things well, you've got a chance to be competitive. Having said that, you know, they're in a big boy division. Seattle's better, and obviously the Angels and the A's and the Rangers are pretty good teams, so it's going to be tough. But you got to go play, and I think the one thing we've learned in this, you know, I was counting up, I think, 15, I think 21 of 30 teams have made the playoffs the last five years and had nine different franchises win championships the last decade, last 12 years. And their average payroll rank has been 10. You've got a chance if you just play the game the right way. That caps off our AL previews for the Effectively Wild podcast on BaseballPerspectives.com. Richard, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Pete, for having me.